Amen. I am. We fight battles a lot. In fact, there's a lot of your life that um, is difficult. We were talking in membership class this morning about uh, the reason, one of the reasons why there will not be another fall is because you will enjoy heaven so much. There will be nothing about this earth that is remotely tempting to you because you know what this has been like. You have felt the pain of loss. You have felt the sting of death in your family. You have understood the pain of what your life is. Is your life all bad? No. Are there moments that are terrible? Yes. Yes. In fact, you may have woke up this morning feeling a little bit of the terribleness of this world. If you woke up and you're over the age of 25 years old, there's a chance that something in you hurt just a little bit when you woke up this morning. There's a chance that everything wasn't just quite right and maybe you popped and cracked getting out of bed just to get here this morning. Aren't you going to be thankful that you can trade all that in one day? Aren't you thankful that all of this, the way that it is, doesn't have to be, uh, you don't have to have all of the, the aches and pains? Have you ever thought about it? There's not going to be glasses in heaven. Uh, there's not going to be a need for glasses. Um, I don't even think there'll be sunglasses, to be honest with you. Why? Because, I, I, well, the, the city, we're looking for a city where the lamb is the light. And I'm not really interested in filtering any bit of that out of what I can conceive and, 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 and perceive in my own ability there. So I don't even think there's going to be sunglasses because there's not going to be a need for shade. Uh, I don't think there's going to be a need for, there's not going to be any crutches in heaven. Uh, there's not going to be any walkers in heaven. There's not going to be, uh, you're not going to have, there's no, none of these kids are going to have braces in heaven. Um, you're not going to have hearing aids in heaven. Somebody said, amen, if you heard me. Uh, and uh, I know how that is. My dad grew up. I have, I, I, listen, I, I can I don't want to speak death over my own self, but I can guarantee you one day it's coming for my gun. <laughs> I done shot too many guns without ear protection on uh, for too many years. So, And uh, I'm believing that when we get there, we're going to have no problems, none whatsoever. Uh, my, uh, you're not going to have the issues that you do now. But the reality is we live in a life uh, that is filled with problems. We live in a life that is hard. Sometimes one of my shortcomings, honestly, um, well, before I say that, we, I know that we can't avoid or exempt ourselves from the hard times. You can live a good life. You can do what you're supposed to do. And to be honest with you, as part of the testimony that I have is that to my, to my ability, I have done the best I can to serve the Lord all of my life. Have I always got it right? No. I haven't, but to the best of my ability, I have done all that I could to serve Jesus. All I've ever wanted to do is just be a part of the family of God, right? And that's not the case always for every person, and I realize that, but because of my decision to do that, it has afforded me some good opportunities. It is part of the reason why I am, am, a, am your pastor today at the age that I am. That's part of the reason is I'm not still sowing wild oats at this point in my life. I'm not still trying to figure out what it is that I'm supposed to be doing right now. In fact, I know exactly without a shadow of a doubt what it is that I'm supposed to be doing right now. And it's standing here today. So what are you saying, Micah? 
What are you saying, Pastor? What I'm saying is, even in all of the good things, in the best way that I have lived my life, it's not been easy. There's still things that happen. There, I still say things I shouldn't have. I still, I still find myself uh, struggling with things that I wish that I wasn't. I still find myself uh, in hard, difficult. I still get stumped. I still have issues that I don't have an answer to. I still get brought questions and, and problems that I don't have. A, and I still make decisions that are the wrong ones. And I still have frustrating moments. I still have failures and shortcomings. One of those is, I mean, and, and what, what that is, is I'm just saying that we're, we're never going to be able to exempt ourselves. Even if you're the straight A student, you're not going to exempt yourself from the hard things in this life. That's the way it is. That, why is it that way? Because sin exists in this world. And as long as sin exists in this world, you and I are not going to do good. We can try. But that is why salvation cannot be, and I, I was on this hard in membership class this morning. That is why salvation is by faith alone through Jesus. It is not about what I have done or what I can do. My life and the fruit of my life is, is made up of the decisions that I make. But the salvation of my life is only found in the shed blood of Jesus and through faith in him. One of my shortcomings of many that I have. One of them is this. I hate to be alone. I hate to be alone. Most of the day at the office, I spend with my door open. I want people to come in. I want you to distract me. I want you to talk to me. If you don't do it, sometimes I will go do it. Um, I, I, I want uh, interaction. Sierra is a little different than I am in, in that regard in that whenever uh, she's overwhelmed, she wants to be by herself. If I'm in a hard place, if I'm struggling, I want to go be with somebody. I want to be in a group of people. I don't always have to be the center of attention, but I just need to be around people. It's my personality. Some of you are sitting here thinking, the last thing I want to do whenever I'm having a bad day is be around somebody. The last thing I want to do when things are not going my way is have to be, because if I'm around somebody, I might be ugly to that somebody, or I might show my, myself to somebody if, if I'm around them at that time. My thing is, I draw a lot of energy off of people. I get it. I, 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 that's just the way I am. Some of you are the exact opposite. Is there anybody in here that's the exact opposite of that? If you're so scared you won't even raise your hand. Uh, but you're the exact opposite of that. I don't, I, 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 I want to be around people. There are moments that I don't. Oh, yeah. There are moments that I, I, I enjoy being alone. Be honest with you, I really hate deer hunting with other people. Like, I can't, it's not that I don't want to, I like other people to be in the woods with me. I like to go on the hunt together, but sitting with somebody, I took my nephew hunting with me this year. He's 15 years old, and uh, that boy coughs and chokes and moves and twists and turns more than anybody I think I've ever, we were sitting there, and I just heard that little joker just sit there, <clears throat> Uncle Micah, you got any more snacks? No. We're not rattling around any more paper in here. You done scared off everything that we've seen. It was the only day I hunted there the entire season that I didn't see one animal. <laughs> so anyways, one deer the whole season that I sat there. I want to be alone at certain moments. 
It's not always that way because I miss it every once in a while. I have Sierra go deer hunt with me. She's a little quieter, um, and she's a little bit uh, of a help to me. Almost every time she goes hunting with me, uh, we kill a deer. So, husbands, if you if you can drag your wife to the to the deer stand, it might be a good idea. Uh, but good luck. I only get it about once a year for her to go with me. So, but one of my shortcomings is I can't stand to be alone. I can't stand the feeling of being isolated or off by myself. And there's, like I said, there's times it doesn't bother me as much, but um, there are times that I really need people. You probably don't think or like being in a difficult situation or time alone because the worst way to suffer is alone. Hebrews 13, 5 encourages us, though. It says, let your conduct be without covetousness. Be content with such things as you have. For he himself has said, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. I'm thankful that in difficult times, he never leaves me. Yes, things get hard, and we don't always understand them and why they happen the way they do. But the thing that I know is that he is always there. When I don't feel like it, he's still there. When I feel like I'm not in a good spot, he's still there. Psalms 46 1 says, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. He's our strength when we are weak. He's a refuge when we are in need of shelter. He is our help in our troubled times. If you have ever been in a place where your only option is God, you will find out how much strength that he actually has. When you find out how powerful he really is, you find out how covered you actually are. You thought you were exposed, but actually you were still under the wings of his protection. When he's the only option you have, you'll find out that he was actually the only option you needed. This brings me to an occurrence back a few thousand years ago. I want to preach to you this morning about a few firefighters. Daniel chapter number 3, verse number 14. I want to read quite a few scriptures here, but I want you to hear the story together. Nebuchadnezzar spoke, saying to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the gold image which I've set up? Now if you are ready, at the time you hear the sound of the horn, flute, harp, lyre, and psaltery, and symphony with all kinds of music, and you fall down and worship the image which I have made good. But if you do not worship, you shall be cast immediately in the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. And who is the God who will deliver you from my hands Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. Hold that spot because I'm going to come back to it. If that is the case, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace, and he will deliver us from your hand, O king. But if not, let it be known to you, O king, that we do not serve your gods, nor will we worship the gold image which you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar was full of fury, and the expression on his face changed toward Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He spoke and commanded that they heat the furnace seven times more than it was usually heated. And he commanded certain mighty men of valor who were in his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and cast them into the burning fiery furnace. 
Therefore, because the king's command was urgent and the furnace exceedingly hot, the flame of the fire killed those men who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Of, uh, and these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell down bound in the midst of the burning fiery furnace. Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished as he rose in haste and spoke, saying to this saying to his counselors, did we not cast three men bound into the midst of the fire? And they answered, said to the king, true, O king. Look, he answered, I see four men loose walking in the midst of the fire, and they're not hurt, and the form of the fourth is like the Son of God. Then Nebuchadnezzar went near the mouth of the burning fiery furnace and spoke, saying, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out and come here. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came from the midst of the fire, and the satraps, administrators, governors, and the king's counselors gathered together, and they saw these men on whom the their, on whose bodies the fire had no power. The hair of their head was not singed, nor were their garments affected, and the smell of fire was not on them. Nebuchadnezzar spoke, saying, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who sent his angel and delivered his servants who trusted in him. And they have frustrated the king's word and yielded their bodies that they should not serve nor worship any god except their own god. Therefore, I make a decree that any people, nation or language which speaks anything amiss against the god of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they shall be cut in pieces and their houses shall be made in ash heap. Because there's no God who can deliver like this. In this point in time in history, we find an evil king leading the nation of the people of God. He's leading them, but he's forcing them into idol worship. He builds this great golden statue. Obviously, you've heard the story many times growing up. And everyone in the nation is bowing at the feet of of this statue. Do you understand that what is godly and right is still godly and right even if the masses forfeit the future that they have? Even if it is a voted on and declared proclamation from the highest level of authority in the land, what is godly and true will still always be godly and true. We're living in a time where we see many bowing to the things that this world deems worthy. And I would imagine that many of those who bowed before the image didn't really agree with what they were doing, but they were following what they saw around them. I would imagine that many of those that bow believed and trusted in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But those people had to make a decision in that moment. Were they going to stand up for what they believed in or would they bow in the face of great adversity? It was clear what the punishment was. And that probably caused some to be more submissive to the king. The music plays. Everyone bows. And people start to take notice that there were three that didn't. They didn't, lie, they didn't give in 
like everyone else did. And when you make a stand, when you directly or when you react differently, when you talk differently, when you're doing things that aren't typical for everyone else around you, people take notice. I said this a couple of Wednesdays ago, I think. People watch you more than you think they do. People pay attention to what you do and what you say a lot more than you think they would. In fact, there's a whole lot of people that are watching what you're doing. Everyone is. Pastor, you really think so? Yes, they are. They are. They, 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 they're thinking about what you're saying. They're thinking, Pastor, that's paranoia to think that way. No, that's the real world. People take notice of what's going on. How do you know that? If you just look around at what people will post on Facebook about what they have seen in somebody else, that lets you know that people are watching what you're doing. They see the change in you, even if they don't acknowledge it. They see the difference in you, even if they don't rec- even if they don't uh, speak about it, even if it doesn't get brought up. They notice it. How do you know? Because when you lose weight, how many people come up to you and say, "Oh my goodness, look how nice you look." What do they say in the other times? I'm just kidding, sort of, not really. But they notice you. They notice the things about you. Do they judge you for it? A lot of times, no. Just because they notice it doesn't mean they're judging you for it. Just because I recognize that you got a blue car doesn't mean that I don't care or that I'm judging you because you got a blue car. I just know that you got a new one. When you get a haircut, somebody's going to say something to you about it. Do they judge you whether they look like it or not? No, probably not. Because to be honest with you, I don't care what kind of clothes you wear. I don't care what kind of house you live in or what kind of car you drive. It really doesn't matter to me. It doesn't matter to me really about much or any of that. Why? Because it's not really relevant. Who cares if you got your fingernails done today? I don't. Who cares? The one thing I do care about, I really would appreciate it if you would clean yourself before you, before you come around, if you would take a shower every once in a while. Those are things that I notice uh, that, that would be appreciated uh, by everyone and not just me, right? But when you get out and you come down here to church, I don't care if you've got on nice clothes. I don't care if your clothes cost $1,000 or $10. It makes no difference to me. But people notice what you do. They notice how you talk. They, and, and really, more than what you wear, what you drive, or, who, or, or where you come from, what they really notice about you is your attitude. They notice more about your attitude than they do anything else. You will overlook bad or, or su, uh, sub, uh, substandard things in certain people's lives if they got a good attitude. Those of you who have worked in different jobs and you've had to be over people, you will hire somebody that may not have as good of a qualification about themselves if they have a good attitude. Same thing goes with where you work. You will work at a hard job if you feel like people appreciate you. If you feel like what you do matters, you, and here's the, here's the reality is you will do things that are hard, that are frustrating, that are difficult if you feel like what you're doing matters. Why? Because if it wasn't true about that, people wouldn't take a pay cut ever. It would always be about the money. But the reality is some of you really care more about things in your life than just the the amount of money that you have or the clothes that you wear. You care a lot more about the things that you do and how it's changing the world. How do I know that? 
because you came to church here today. You could have gone anywhere else. If you wanted to go somewhere that you could have listened to better music, you could have found anywhere else to go. If you wanted to go somewhere else that you could have had more people to identify yourself with, if you wanted to go to a larger Sunday school class or a larger church, you would have. But guess what? You found yourself here. You found yourself here. Why? Because you feel like something happening here is making a difference. You feel like something's happening here that matters. And it's not just because you like me. I could be gone and somebody else be standing here and you'd still be here. Why? Because you know that's what happening here is making a difference. It's clear they knew. Let's get back on, on task here. It was clear what the punishment was, and it probably caused some to be more submissive out of fear. And when you make a stand, people acknowledge it. The first thing, though, when we're talking about these three young men, King Nebuchadnezzar threatens them the same way that he does everyone else. He threatens them with death. And this is the first thing that you need to know if you're going to fight fire the way that these young men did, is you've got to ignore or not acknowledge the lie of the enemy. King Nebuchadnezzar threatens them with death and they didn't even acknowledge it. They said, we don't even have need to respond to you on this matter. He said, I'm going to throw you into this fiery furnace. I'm going to cast you into here. And they know that it's heated seven times hotter than it was. And they looked at him and they said, we're not, we don't even have reason to respond to you over this. We've got to get to the place in our life that when we hear things that are fearful, that are intimidating, that try to come against us, that we look at it and say, I'm not even responding to that. You hear a lie from the enemy. You hear something that tells you that you're not good enough or says that you don't have the knowledge or you don't have the experience or they don't really care about me or if they cared about me, they wouldn't have said this or that joke hurt my feelings or this did this or that. And if you'll look at that and say, I'm not not even going to respond to that what you'll find is it frustrates the plan that they had see he wanted them to be afraid he wanted them to be fearful he wanted them to be submissive and the way he was going to get people to submit to him was through fear and what you can learn if you lead any people ever in your life if you lead a family or if you lead a fortune 500 company the thing that you need to know first is you will never be able to lead people with fear you can't lead with fear you can't operate when everything about you exudes fear he wanted them to be afraid And I think the people that have to do that really are more afraid than you are. Why? I think they've got huge insecurity. How insecure must Nebuchadnezzar have to have been to have built that humongous golden statue so that people would worship him? Isn't that crazy? How egotistical could you be? You can be that egotistical if you have no identity. If you have nobody that you can find stability in. And so he tried to create himself as God. Just because the enemy tells you a lie doesn't mean that you have to listen to it. He looks at them and asks them if it was true that they did not bow down. He then reminds them if they don't bow down, he's going to be thrown. Just because he reminded them again. That's the thing is you can ignore it once. That doesn't mean it's going to go away. Just because the enemy tells you a lie the second time doesn't mean that it's any truer than the first. 
They knew that the punishment of their actions would be the furnace. They knew that's what was coming. But they chose not to acknowledge it. They looked at the king and told them that they weren't even going to answer him on the matter. That's how we've got to be. Stop answering these things that tell you that you aren't good enough. Stop responding to the lie of the enemy. Second thing, they didn't allow defeat or death to be an option. They looked at the king and told him that they weren't even going to acknowledge the heresy of bowing down to the image and told him that the God that they serve is able to deliver them from the furnace in his hand. Two things. They said, he's going to deliver us from the fire and from your hand. So not only are we not going to die, but you're not going to manipulate or control us anymore either. See, one thing is, when you refuse to acknowledge the lies of the enemy, it gets you freedom from the punishment of fear. But the second thing is, you need real deliverance from the manipulative power that would try to control you. And so you got to deal with both of the things. I'm not just dealing with the fruit, I'm dealing with the root. I'm not just dealing with the fear, I'm dealing with the inherent manipulation of the enemy and rebuking. I'm not going to acknowledge you about the fire, because God going to deliver us from that and from you and from you you're not going to have control over us the way you used to so notice that they told him they're going to be delivered from both of those things and once they had said if he did not deliver them see they said he's he's going to deliver us from the fire and from your hand but if not remember they didn't even acknowledge the fire so I don't think they're, they might not really be responding to the fire. They're responding to the control that he has. They said, we're not afraid of your fire. We're just going to sit here and deal with the fact that you're trying to manipulate and control people into something that's not godly. And that's what we're going to deal with. So he's able to deliver us from the fiery furnace and from your hand. But if not, let it be known to you today that we will not serve your gods. So what is he saying? Even if he doesn't take me out of your hand, I want you to know that the fire is never going to be a part of, what, uh, of my future. The fire is not going to be the thing that destroys me. He's going to deliver me from the fire and from your hand. But if not, remember, they didn't respond to the fire. They're responding to the hand. Is everybody with me? Make everybody stand up and stretch if you don't get with me. The fire was not the fearful thing to them. They weren't in fear about any of it. What they were more interested in was getting out from underneath the control of the manipulation of an evil king. So they say, we're going to get out of this. And if God doesn't bring us out of your hand, we're still not going to serve your gods. They're bold in the face of adversity. They had confidence in the God that they had served, that they served. They had full confidence that he was going to take care of them no matter what. We can have the same confidence too because God has not changed. Next thing is, the way they entered adversity 
was not how they came out. We're hoping that through good times, we will get the freedom that we, that we are so desperately hoping for. But sometimes we need to understand that it isn't the good times that produce the freedom inside of us. It is trusting God through the hard times that brings freedom to us. So they heat the fire seven times hotter, so hot that the men who open the doors to the furnace die. They don't even really get a chance to throw them in good. They're dead. He throws them in there. And I, how big must this furnace have been if they could see into this thing and you could throw three grown men into it? I mean, I'm sitting here thinking about two or three of us that get thrown in there. This has got to be a huge room, a huge room that is full, that is so hot that it kills the men who's tend the fire. He throws them in there. They're bound when they get there. They're bound when they get there. What's incredible, though, is the fire didn't have any effect on their hair, on their bodies, or their clothes. The thing that it burned off of them was their, bound, was their bondage. Their clothes didn't smell like smoke. Their hair wasn't singed, but somehow when they got into the fire, they got loosed. They were thrown bound into the fire, but it was inside the fire that didn't burn them. It burned the things that were holding them. See, some of us are so afraid to go through the difficult time that the Lord is not just the one that's standing there waiting on us. Is he standing there in the fire with them? Yes, and you can preach an hour about the goodness of God, that he would stand in the fire with you, that he didn't send them in there, he didn't pat them on the back, and t- he met them in there when they got there. But the incredible thing was that when the king looked in, the thing that got burned up wasn't them, it wasn't their clothes, it was the things that he put on them. Isn't that how the pattern that Jesus takes throughout all of Scripture? It is the hard things that come against his people that bring about the greatest amount of freedom. Things that happen in the kingdom are often backwards. I don't know why. Why is it that the first is last and the last is first? And why is it that if you seek to gain your soul, you're going to lose it? And why is all these things, why is it that when you get thrown into a hard time, into the fire, it's your bondage that gets broken off? Why was it the death of Stephen that produced the multiplication of the church in the book of Acts? Why was it all of those hard things that brought about the greatest amount of freedom? I think it's this. I think good times create weak men. I think weak men create hard times. And hard times create strong men. You've heard that said before. I would, I would really rather change it to say something like this. Good times create complacent Christ followers. Complacent Christ followers create Bad times. Bad times force people to trust God. And people who trust God help facilitate good times. I think, I think many times if things get too easy, you will stop trusting God. Things become second nature to you. 
You don't have to worry. You don't have to use. It doesn't take any faith at all to live a perfect life, right? It doesn't take faith to trust the Lord for a miracle when you have no need. I think this entire time we are learning to trust God more. I think with every hard day that you make it through, you learn to trust God more. Is it because he doesn't, is it because he doesn't love you that he causes you to do these things? No, it reveals our need for him and the deep love that we actually have for God. Because when you have are forced to fall on your knees and give God praise and glory and you are forced to trust him more than you've ever trusted him, what you find is you really love him. Military men, people that work in first response, know this. When you've been through some things together, you learn to trust that person. If you've ever had to go through something hard with that person, if you've ever had to, if you've ever had to run into a burning building with somebody and you've had to trust that that person was going to have your back when you went in there, you come out of there with a different connection to that person. You're on a battlefield somewhere and somebody's shooting at you and, and it is that man standing beside you that helped get you out of there. You have a different relationship with that person. Same thing when you go through a hard thing with one of your friends. If you've ever had to have a confrontational conversation with somebody, if it goes well and both of you really care about each other, at the end of that conversation, what you find is you learn something about that person that you did not know, and then you love them all the more for it. It is the hard things in our lives that galvanize us in to the, into our relationship with the Lord. It is when I, have, I am forced to trust him with something that I don't have the ability to provide, produce, solve, or, or create on my own that helps me to trust him even more. The stand that they made made a difference. The enemy may have brought them to the fire and put them in the fire, but he did not have plans for what was going to happen then. See, if he comes, if the enemy comes to kill, steal, and destroy, he has no other plan other than that. That was his plan, was destruction. So when the destructive thing becomes the element or the conduit for freedom in your life, everything about his plan is now foiled. It says that there's this, it, they frustrated. The, they were so, the king was so angry. The Bible even mentions how his, the, the King James says, the form of his visage, his expression was changed. He was so upset. And then when he sees that the thing that was supposed to be destructive to him, destructive to them, was actually the thing that was freeing to them, he has no more recourse of plan or action. There's nothing else he can do. If the thing that was meant to kill you or break you doesn't, that's the end. You ought to shout about that. I'm not preaching real hard today, 
But you ought to shout about that. That the thing that was supposed to break you when it didn't, you ought to praise God for that because that was the end of the plan. That was the end of the attack. When the fire didn't consume them, he didn't go get a sword and try to run them through. I would imagine if he would have, it would have been like Superman when they were trying to give him needles, how it, how it, would, just, how it would just break on his chest. If, when the plan of the enemy was destroyed, and it doesn't come about he's so confused so frustrated so upset that he has to stop and he did he did there's any number of things that Nebuchadnezzar could have done that he could have done to bring death upon them but he chose to throw them in the fire and the fire had no had no power over them in fact it was the thing that brought freedom to them if we fast forward into the early church, I've talked about this for so much that you're probably tired of hearing about it, but I'm not tired of talking about it yet. In Acts 7 and 8, chapter 7 and chapter 8, at the end of 7, at the beginning of 8, a great persecution breaks out in the church in Jerusalem. And it starts with the death of Stephen. After that, the persecution breaks out. And the, and the disciples then... Not the apostles, but the disciples then are scattered to Judea and Samaria, just like Jesus said they would in Acts 1.8. It was the thing that was supposed to stop the church, which was the thing that produced the most outreach for the church. It is See, that's the thing. The enemy must be the most frustrated, created being in the history of the universe. Why? Because everything that he has done to thwart the plan of God has only propelled it forward. He thought that killing Jesus would be the thing that stopped. He thought that he thought that sending wise men back by uh, Herod would be the thing that would bring death to the baby, but it wasn't. It was the wise men that had heard from the angel of God to go another way. He thought that if he could get people mad enough at Jesus, that they would kill him before he could get to the cross. And then he thought that if he could kill Jesus. That would be the end of it all. But the death of Jesus produced the life, the resurrecting power that was so needed by us again. And then as the church begins to be born, he thought if he could put enough fear inside of them, they're not Jesus, they're not him. Surely they won't have faith like he did. But Jesus told them before he left that these things that you have seen me do, you will do also and even greater things things. So they hear the word of the religious leaders again and say, I am going to throw you into jail. They said, fine, let it be so, but we're going to keep on preaching. And they do. And then he starts killing them. And he says, if I can kill them, then they'll all stop. But the, the, but the death of Stephen and the persecution that would break out against that church would be the thing that would push it even further forward than what they had imagined would have happened. It is the hardest things that you go through that produce the greatest amount of freedom in you. It is the hardest things that you've had to live through that you have had to say no to or that you have had to say yes to. It is the hardest decisions that you make that allow you to have the greatest potential ahead of you. If you think about it, 
after every moment that you felt like giving up, that you knew you couldn't, after every moment that you thought, this is, I can't have another day of this, and you pressed on, you found a greater amount of breakthrough than you've ever felt before. That's why when you stand at an altar sometimes and you seek the Lord and you get breakthrough in that moment, it feels like the first time it's ever happened. And you and, and, and it's not like you hadn't been through something hard before. Three months ago, six months ago, you were standing in the same altar needing breakthrough just as bad as you did that day. And then you get it again and again and again. Because there's nothing harder than the hard you're dealing with right now. There's nothing harder than the hard that you have today. Oh, it was hard three years ago, but you made it through that. And now this hard seems to be harder than that. How am I going to make it through this? How am I going to make it through? I, I know he did it before, but how am I going to do it again? How am I going to make it through this this time? The stand that they made made a difference. The king was so taken back by what he saw there. It totally changed everything about him. He went from being this king that needed to be worshipped. Not another god. He needed the worship. To being the king that would make the decree now. That if you, not even if you don't serve the god of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. If you say anything against them. I'm going to cut you up into little pieces. And we're going to burn your house down into a pile of ash. This guy was serious. Now, I would like for him to have not murdered everybody that didn't agree with him. But he needed to have, but, but he had a complete heart change in himself because of the revelation that he had about the Hebrew God. Do you understand that whenever you make it, somebody else will too. When you make it through, it's because somebody else needed to go as well. They thought they were standing up in obedience to their God, and they were. But they didn't know that not only did everybody else see it, so did the king. Because everybody is watching what you're doing. I'm wrapping up with this. Everybody sees it. They know the hard things that you go through. There's no doubt that all of those people that watched him, I can imagine, they're all bowed down. Can you imagine being the one that's bowed down next to Shadrach? He's bowed down there, and he, I'm sure he kind of looks up, and he kind of sees, I think he's, did you see that he's standing up? Did you see that he, would, he didn't bow down? Yeah, I know. And then about that time, somebody that, that's important, sees him standing over and says, you're going to come with me. You're going to come with me. We're going to go talk to the king about this. And they bring him up before the, the king. Do you understand that your stand may be difficult at certain times, but it puts you in the room of influence. It puts you in the room of influence. And so they're standing there in front of the king, and they have to continue. Because once you've stood, you better stay standing. Having done all to stand, stand therefore, is what Ephesians tells us. When you put on the full armor of God. Having done all to stand, stand. It took everything that you had inside of you to stand up. So stand there. Don't let it overcome you. 
Don't let it overcome you. Don't let fear overcome you. Don't let intimidation or manipulation overcome you. Don't let the things, the plans of destruction from the enemy overcome you. Have faith in the Lord. Stand strong. Then allow the providence of God to show you out of the very thing that was meant to destroy you and let it change everything and everyone around you. The king made it law at that point that they would have to serve the Hebrew God. Would it be so that if enough of us would stand, it wouldn't matter who gets elected president in November. That it wouldn't matter two years from now when we vote on other congressional uh, uh, positions. It wouldn't matter which way certain ones voted on the Supreme Court. Would it be so that if enough of us would stand, it would put enough of us in the place of influence that the voice of the Lord would be heard through you and we would see real radical change come to the nation that we so love and appreciate. Maybe it would be so that we would see it in our churches, in our cities, in our states, in our regions. Would it be so that if enough people would stand up and say enough is enough, that we would see the hand of God bring freedom and deliverance to the city that we minister in? That's my prayer, is that making a stand for things that might not always be comfortable or even politically correct that we would see a city turn and changed because the people that have seen the change have been changed by the change and we will see a place come back to the knowledge of Jesus Christ as their savior let's pray father thank you for the word and for your time today to be here lord I pray over every person in this house would you let them oh god have an awakening in their spirit, boldness come into their bodies. Lord, I pray today that you would help us to have our eyes opened, that the persecution of our bodies is only the propulsion of your plan forward, that the, that the attack of the enemy that was meant to bring destruction will actually be a conduit of freedom to our families and our homes our relationships, to our finances, and in every part of our life, Lord. Father, the plans that the enemy has set up against this city and this church, I thank you, Lord, that the plan of destruction will be radically turned into your plan that would be provisional, that would be protective, Lord, that it would be powerful in Jesus' name. Father, I pray that you would just help us to be submissive only to you and that we would find ourselves living and existing in a world that's changed by your power in Jesus' name.